0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, my name is Eric, if you don't know me, and love to get to know you and answer any questions you might have, and welcome all our friends and family online as well. Uh, if you would just take a picture of the QR code in front of you and hit I'm new, that's a way to connect with us and help get you connected to our church, or out in the, the welcome area in the middle, we, there's a gift for you there, and we'd love to answer questions and help you. Um, also, thanks for coming. You guys got the memo about the new times. So thank you for that. Next week, children's ministry will uh, be during this hour at the 10 o'clock hour. And then uh, connection classes will start on the 16th. So if you uh, ever want to do that, there's a list on the website. If you want to go to a class and just go deeper in your faith and learn and uh, be in a smaller setting where you can meet some more people. So Romans chapter 15, I think this is a a timely uh, part in our culture where this passage is really helpful. Uh, one of the things I've just kind of heard from people is they feel stuck, they feel paralyzed, they feel trapped. And what this passage is going to do is kind of help us realize, you know, godly ambition really moves us forward and that we need to constantly be moving forward and moving forward, moving forward with what God has for us, what God wants for us, and, and God's plan for us. And so th- this little chunk here is going to be really I think, important maybe to be our anthem for the year. Uh, But before we hop in, uh, it's important, again, we understand uh, a passage in light of the passages, right? Because it's one letter. And so we see what what Paul's doing. So if you take chapter 8 and chapter 15, you kind of have these bookends. And chapter 8, he starts uh, writing and developing uh, our identity as a Christian, right? This is who you are in Christ, you are a child of God. And then he weaves through and comes back here in chapter 15 and starts saying, okay, now here's, here's what you need to do as that child. You need to be on mission. You need to go. You need to help churches. You need to reach the lost. And so in between that, everything connects those two bookends. So that's why in chapter 9, he's like, look, you're, the, you're a child. You're my child. But I'm also the potter. You're the clay. And I'm going to mold you and use you how I see fit. And I I know what I'm doing. Then get into chapter eleven. He said, you know, I didn't forget about Israel. I didn't forget. I have a plan for them. I'm going to keep my promise to them. Remember, I'm the potter; you're the clay. Therefore, chapter twelve: be at my disposal. Be be a living sacrifice. Anything I want to use you for, be available for that. And that includes now chapter thirteen: being a good citizen, praying for your government officials, a living. In harmony and unity with one another. And then 14, saying, Hey, now, child of God, you help the weaker brother. If your brother or sister is struggling, you help them. And then chapter 15, he's going to really get into and now take the gospel and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. And also share it with people who don't know it and, and have great ambition as you do it. And so, what we're going to look at this morning is three uh, attributes or aspects of godly ambition. Uh, the spiritual needs, the physical needs, and and the plan of implementation for those needs. So I'm going to pray, and we'll hop in. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for loving us, and we're thankful uh, for your word. It communicates to us. It helps us understand. It helps us grow. It helps us know more about you. It helps us love you. And uh, it's my prayer that you would challenge us. You would unite us. uh, You'd help us draw close to you. And we pray for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're basically kind of drawing off verse 20 here. So if you want to go ahead in chapter 15, look in verse 20. He says, you know, and I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. And he'll walk through that. And so what, what we're saying is, especially as you kick off a new year, is, man, we want to be ambitious. We want to have an ambition for the gospel to go out. And for us to focus on people knowing Christ more or knowing Christ for the first time. And this is part of Paul's encouragement to these Christians. He's saying, like, look, time is short. Heaven is your home. You're visiting here. We're all going to give an account to the Lord for the work we do amongst Christians and amongst non-Christians. We still go to heaven, but there's an accountability. And so while you have this time, use it to the best of your ability. And do all that you can. And ambition as part of that is driving you forward. It is moving you to do the things that God wants you to do. And so part of that is having our spiritual needs um, met so we're growing in our faith so we can share our faith. And we pick this up down here uh, in 27. He connects the two ideas. He's saying, look, the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. And they ought also to be of service for them in material and so just thinking through yourself, like, how am I growing spiritually and how am I helping others? And the beauty of this, if you look at Paul, he references how far he's, this ministry has gone, is that he's covered over a thousand miles sharing the gospel. That's insane, isn't it? Like, when you think there's no, no car, no plane, it's a horse and a ship, right? Like, that's, or a donkey, if you didn't have a horse, like, that's even worse. That's a thousand miles, that's a lot of work. It's very important to Paul. and He says he does this with ambition. And so the first thing I think for us is when you think of, you know, what I'm kind of hearing people say is they're spiritually dry or they're anemic or they feel numb. It is to look at what Paul's looking at. He has a global perspective of his Christianity. And he's trying to, to meet the needs of people from all around the world. In these areas. And what we think, I think we can tend to do is we become so focused on, you know, what's happening right here. You know, we're losing freedom. The government's changing. It's not the America I grew up in. It's not the America I know. It's not the America my parents, grandparents died for. You know, this is not, and it becomes so focused and it's like things are so terrible. And then we focus on the terrible. We're not pushing forward with ambition for people to know the gospel. But when you look in light of what's going on in the world, it kind of sobers your mind. Like, if you think through, you know, there's there's countries that have curfews. There's countries that are killing Christians. There's countries that, uh, you know, they won't let you have a Bible that that are trying to eradicate Christians. I mean, just look at India. They're, they're trying to get any form of Christianity out. They're radicalizing Hinduism. Right? So you look at that, and it's like, wow, Maybe we're not in such a bad place. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, it has to be because it's true. And so we want to think through that is, you know, what? when I think of what's going on spiritually around the world to other brothers and sisters in Christ, we're actually in a good place. And we need to stay the course and growing in our faith, but also praying for, for those to stay strong who are in worse place than us. And that's what Paul's doing. He's going around to all these places and he's trying to strengthen believers. If you look at verse 15, he says, I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. He's reminding them, look, you don't like your situation. You're getting persecuted. You're being forced to move. People hate you. No one likes you. You're in extreme poverty. I'm reminding you who you are in Christ what God has done for you. And he walks them through these, these truths, and that's why he's writing them. And so the same really applies for us, is that we need that reminder, and we need that bold reminder of who we are in Christ and how that should shape us, and then really allow us to focus on helping other people either grow in their faith or come to saving faith. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through some, some verses in chapter 8. Uh, or what are the spiritual blessings? He's talking about in 27, that should encourage us, that should give us great hope, and that we should be growing in daily, okay? So, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Let's just think through some of these with me. It says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's huge. And I want you to think about this, is how, I don't know if it's just me, but are you guys seeing, there's a lot of condemning of Christians by Christians. Yeah? Thank you. Okay? The four of us are paying attention. So you look at this, like, that's not okay. Why is that not okay? Because Christ died for our sins. We don't need to condemn people. We need to pray for people. We need to love people. Condemning is the idea of holding something against someone and then beating them with it. And basically saying, you deserve hell for that. You be condemned. You don't deserve to go to heaven. You shouldn't be called a Christian. Now, what's crazier is the reason why we're condemning people. It's not because they don't believe in Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. It's because they voted a certain color. They wore a mask or didn't wear a mask. They go to a certain school or they want to leave or want to stay or they have a certain political vibe or they 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 want to spend their money and support something else. And, And all of a sudden, that's they're not going to heaven. And it's like, no, no, you're a Christian. There's no condemnation for the Christian. Your sins are purchased. Christ died for you. Quit beating each other up, condemning one another. Because This is what was going on in their church. Jews and Gentiles condemning each other. Well, no, you're not a Christian. Well, no, you're not a Christian. It's like, no, Christ died, paid for the sin. If you receive that gift by faith, you're saved, not condemned. So part of it is reminding yourself you've been paid for but it's another thing if reminding people like hey Christ died for you you're you're maybe in a bad situation or struggling but your sins are forgiven don't you think that's a big deal yeah okay. so so walking through that it's in, it's important for our souls uh, verse 5 it says this is set our minds on things of the spirit right and, and not the flesh and what happens in the flesh is we get, we get angry, we get insecure, we get anxiety, we get fearful. And those emotions, fleshy emotions, they start driving us. And we start uh, sinning to ease our anxiety, ease our anger, ease whatever kind of emotional pain we're going through. Um, and to think through, like, no, we got to think about the Spirit. Well, one of the ways to think about this, I came across a good metaphor Uh, In my study, I just forgot. I forgot who said it. He said, if you let concrete dry, you can drive a dump truck over it. And he said, the same works with sin. If you let sin dry in your heart, you can drive a dump truck over it, meaning it becomes numb. It becomes so hard. And all of a sudden, we don't care about sin. We don't care about being angry. We don't care about being vile gossiping, slandering, and the hardness of heart just grows and becomes bitter. And we forget what it means to set our mind on the things of the Spirit to be gentle, kind, patient, good, have self-control, love, mercy, all of those things. And so part, part of not having condemnation, setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, is dealing with the sin that's in our heart, not letting it settle not letting our anger grow, not letting our insecurity, not letting our selfishness, our lack of self control, whatever it is, not letting it form into concrete and then becoming such a part of us that it's hard to uproot and get out. And so, growing spiritually is like, man, this takes a lot of work. He's like, hey, you're a child of God, there's no condemnation. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 11, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Saying you have Christ's spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have that. Act like it. But also to think this, when we go into a grocery store, we go into a school, we go into our work, we go into someone else's house, we represent Christ. His spirit dwells in us. And so being mindful of our lack of love, our bad attitude, our antagonism, our... You know, apathy, anger, whatever it is, malice, gossip, that represents Christ. You are a child of God. So walking through this identity piece, it's really big. It's like, oh no, I'm a Christian. I need to act like it. I don't want to turn someone off to God because I'm behaving improperly. So reminding yourself of that. But then the next part of this, because Paul says he's writing very boldly to them. And so part of his. Us reminding other Christians like, whoa, you're a Christian first, American second, father second, daughter second, wife second, employer, employee second. Your first and primary calling is a Christian. Isn't that important? Yeah, you know, We lose sight of that. And this is what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to get them on mission. He's like, hey, in verse 30, I want you to strive with me in prayer. I want you to give with me. I want you to help me get the gospel out to where it's not. I want you to help me strengthen people spiritually. I want you to help me meet the physical needs of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we forget that as our primary identity and focus, then the mission gets lost and we become ineffective and and people don't get to hear about Jesus. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? And so that's he's walking them through this. Verse uh, 28, this is very important. All things work for good, right? For those who love him and been called according to his purpose. Why is that important? I want you to think about this. Does your attitude right now reflect that you really believe God works all things for your good? That changes the way we act, doesn't it? Because if we really believe that God works things for our good, we wouldn't be freaked out and have anxiety. We'd be hopeful, wouldn't you? God's going to do something with this. I don't know what, but I'm going to trust he will work it for my good, for his glory. And I might not live to see it. I might not know it. I might never know it. But I'm trusting that there is no, uh, it's not being done in vain. See, if you're not a Christian, what do you do with suffering? Why is suffering there? It's purposeless. It's just there to torture you. And there's no reason or rhyme to explain how and why or what it's doing. But if you're a Christian, you can look at suffering and go, God's going to use this to reach people, encourage people, have people know him, love him, worship him. So to truly believe that he can work all things together for good, that has a tremendous effect on our attitude, shouldn't it? Absolutely. So start thinking through that, you know, spiritually, Do I really believe that? And and then the next part now is, are you encouraging other people? Being like, hey, quit freaking out. Quit being so depressing. Some people are really depressing to be around. Have you noticed that? Just my friends? Okay, so maybe you don't have any, but if they get like that, encourage them that God can work all things for good. And then what will happen is when you get like a really mature Christian, they'll make fun of you for saying that. Oh, come on. That's just like Sunday school stuff. That was a joke, by the way. You're not mature if you're doing that. That's immaturity. It's saying, no, I really do believe God can work. Good. All through the Old Testament, God works great things out of terrible situations, doesn't he? Yeah. So it's saying, no, I really believe that. So I'm extremely hopeful in a pandemic. I'm extremely hopeful in the midst of losing a job, losing this, losing whatever it is you're losing you never lose hope because God can work all things for good. And then God could have something even better, but you're just unaware of it. So, so this, again, it's part of our identity as a child of God. And, and then taking this out and sharing it with other churches, right? other Christians, sharing it with non-Christians. I mean, what better message can you share with a non-Christian than God can redeem your situation? Versus, oh, you're not a Christian, I'm sorry. This just kind of is terrible for you for no apparent reason. Doesn't that sound like very depressing? Know that your suffering is just in vain? There's no greater good to come of it? Okay? So, so the huge thing, okay? 35, nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is huge for us to be mindful of because it often feels like God doesn't love us sometimes, doesn't it? It's okay to admit it. Doesn't it feel like that? You're like, this doesn't feel very loving, God. People are angry. People are dying. People are having their lives turned upside down. People are suffering in sickness. This doesn't seem loving. But again, it's that sober mind. And it's going back to, I'm a child of God. God always loves me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And even though I feel like he doesn't love me, he does. He does. And I need to trust that truth. And then again, that extends to someone else. Hey, I get it. You're hurt. You're angry. You're sad. You're frustrated. But God still loves you. God can still work this for good. You need to trust him. These circumstances don't change his love. He's the potter. He knew this would happen. He's molding you. You need to trust him. He loves you. So, these are the things that help us stay healthy. But it's also, you know, verse 20 this is part of what should give us ambition, a fire, a passion to encourage people, strengthen them spiritually. Say, God is the potter, and we can trust him, we can love him, we can follow him. Right, so, that's why chapter 12 continues these things some encouragements for us. Be a living sacrifice. So think of that, that's that's living at God's, you know, God's disposal, not our God's agenda, not ours. I think lately we've become very our own agenda based. And then assuming that God wants to carry on in our agenda, instead saying, you know what, God, these are the things I care about. But that's secondary, hands open to what you want. What do you want me to do? What, What do you have for me? I'm the clay, anything you need. And the encouraging part to the brother or sister in Christ is saying, hey, is that really what you should be passionate about? Should you be more passionate about Jesus or your agenda? That's a pretty great question to ask another Christian friend, isn't it? Because it just kind of frames and it's like, wow, I'm way more passionate about this than Jesus. I need to, verse 1 and 2, transform my mind. I need to make sure that my mind is fixed on Christ. Now, I'm going to give you this, this encouragement. Part of renewing your mind, part of transforming your mind, is going to be reading our Bibles. And I hate to say this, but it's just become true lately. is Transforming your mind is less about finding a good podcast or a good book. Even respectable Christian pastor theologians are losing their minds and acting like children. I was even reading a guy recently, he was like, don't go to California, it's a blue state, it's like China, you'll die. I'm like, really? That's what we're coming to? Christians can't go to certain states because of their political positions? Like, people in California need Jesus, don't they? I guess it's already good, we don't need to worry about it? Like, no, right? And they need Christ here, and we're going to stay here, and We're going to preach Christ. We're going to share Christ. We're going to encourage the believers. We're going to minister to the non-believers and share the gospel. So the safest way to make sure your mind is right is read your Bible. You don't need to trust me. You don't need to trust the radio. Open your Bible. These are the things I know to be true. And they help you overcome fear, anger, anxiety, all the things that are tripping us up to calm our hearts, remind us that God can work all things for good, to remind us that his love never leaves, his love never forsakes, his love never separates. Then we can discern the will of God. Is this what God wants from me? Well, if you're reading the Bible, you'll see, well, is it patient? Is it kind? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? Is it consistent with Jesus? Is it consistent with his word? It's like, yes, it is. Okay, then that's in line with the will of God, the desire of God. Testing what is perfect. You know, does this cause anxiety? Does this cause fear? Does this cause anger? Does this cause vengeance? Yes, it does. Okay, then I need to reject it because I understand what God wants for me from his word. And then the last part, twelve, twelve, chapter 12, verse 12, is to be constant in prayer. And again, approaching prayer like, God, what do you want from me? God, how do you want me to act? God, how can I be a living sacrifice in this situation? How can I represent you? My time on earth is limited and I want to make the most of it. I want to be effective for you. I want to have ambition for you. I want to, verse 30, strive together with other Christians in prayer and in action so that people might know you more. So so these are the spiritual things that Paul's been talking about throughout the letter of Romans. This is what it means to be a child of God. Now, you do that. Now we're getting into chapter 15. Now go help other Christians do this. There's other Christians that are struggling. There are other Christians that need to be reminded about the goodness of God, the greatness of God. They need to be reminded of God's love. Uh, 15, 14 kind of frames it this way. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That's the part where we got to get to, is that last part, is are we able to instruct other Christians? Kind of fan their flames, help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. Help them not get stuck in our cultural chaos and our cultural mess. God says, I have a design for you Christians, is that you would help each other. Help each other spiritually. And then the next part is to help each other physically. Paul's saying there's Christians and they're suffering. They're without a home. They're without a job. There's an illness they can't afford. And he's saying, I'm depending on you Christians to give. And I'm going to go take that money and go help these other Christians over here. And so the two work together. That's what he's getting at in 30. He's like, look, hey, you guys helped them spiritually. Now you need to help them physically. Christians are to help each other out. Part of this is we have to actually know each other to be able to help each other. Is that fair? So it's looking around saying, who are the Christians, you know, around me? Do they need help? Do they need help with their bills, help with their house? You know, help watching their kids. Help, you know, whatever it is, because it's a demonstration of, hey, God loves you. He hasn't forgot about you. Here's a brother or sister in Christ wants to encourage you, love you, help you. You know, and we have lots of opportunities uh, in our own church to do that. You know, we have the deaf church. We have the TLC fund. You know, uh, serving the homeless on Tuesday nights. uh, Reach Bakersfield. And then we have global stuff, Market of hope, Uganda, Romania, India, Kenya, all of these things have an opportunity uh, to help people see uh, tangibly God loves them, but also to say, this, "This is an example of Christ loving you and know that Christ died for you and he hasn't forgotten about you." These are important things, aren't they? And I'm saying, this is how we keep moving forward. We keep sharing. We keep teaching. And we keep helping each other out. So part of that's going to be having, you know, have a plan for these things. Who, who are people uh, in Christ that you know that need to be encouraged? They need to be strengthened. Are you praying for them? Are you praying that they would not fall into temptation? Are you praying that they wouldn't be fearful? That they wouldn't have anxiety? That they could be faithful and trust the Lord? Who are you helping who doesn't know Jesus? Yeah. And when you find someone who doesn't know Christ, what's the most important thing you could tell them? Right? How Christ has helped you. And here's the thing. We're not going to be able to meet every physical need or even every spiritual need, but God has equipped us right, with his spirit and with life circumstances to help some people, but maybe not all people, But think of this like the ability to say, hey, I've experienced death in my life. Here's how God's love didn't leave me, how God's love didn't forsake me, how God did work it for good. You've experienced extreme sickness. You've lost a job. You've been divorced. You've lost a child. These are the things where you can encourage another believer and say, hey, God walked me through this. He can walk you through this too. Going to a non-Christian, hey, I don't know how you handle Losing your job, losing your spouse, getting in an accident without Jesus. I don't know how your heart is comforted without Christ. These are important messages, don't you think? And this is what Paul's inviting them to do, to strive together with him to reach and build the saints, Christians, and then also reach the people who don't know Christ at all. And what we want to do this year is kind of have a plan to have a godly ambition to keep moving forward. People need to grow in their faith. People need to hear about Jesus. So having a plan. Who are people who don't know Christ? Now, If you don't know any, start praying that you would know some. It's a good place to start. And the more you start praying for people who don't know Jesus, the more you'll see that you have compassion for them, the more you care about their well-being, And you'll be fascinated in what doors God opens for you to talk about his son, Jesus. And and people become comfortable sharing their burdens with you, sharing their insecurities. And there's a platform to say only Christ can meet those needs. This is what it means to be a child of God, Romans 8, right? He'll work things for good, that he'll always love you. Heaven is your home, that he's in control and you can trust him. These are all great things to strive for, aren't they? Okay, so that's kind of where we want to take this is we look at our culture and say we can either get stuck or we can have godly ambition to move forward. Because until Christ comes back, the most important thing is that people grow in their love for Jesus and people come to know Jesus. And we don't want to get lost in in the world's chaos and the world's pain and the world's hurt. Look here in verse 32. He says, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul's saying, man, I just want to be there with you. I want to be refreshed by you. I want to spend time with you. I want you to partner with me. Now, here's the thing. Not everyone's going to be a Paul and travel a thousand miles spreading the gospel, going over and over and over. But that doesn't mean we can't pray for missionaries. You know, we have Nathan and Shannon in an unreached people group in Central Asia trying to, you know, learn a language and then learn another language where there's no Bible, there's no church. That's a good thing to pray for, isn't it? Eh? It's a good thing to pray that God would raise up more missionaries so we could go to other parts of the world where there is no church, there is no gospel. We can pray for non-Christians we have in our own backyards or in our own families, praying that they would know what it means to know the love of God to know that Christ paid for their sin, to know they don't have to live in fear, that they can have hope, that they can know that heaven can be their home and it doesn't have to be earth. These are all great things we want to remind people of. Amen? So to to join in that mission, is really to have the the same ambition as Paul, is to keep moving forward with the gospel, whether it's with a Christian or a non-Christian. So some questions we can ask ourselves. How are you addressing your spiritual growth currently? What's your plan? Like, like just identify somewhere in your life where you have something of the flesh, a sin of the flesh, and address it. You have anger problems, trust problems, you know, insecure, anxiety, addictions. Is there something ruling your heart? Gossiping, something you love more than you love Jesus, idolatry. And start attacking it. Have a plan for it, have an ambition right to grow so that as you are growing verse 14 you're able to instruct one another as you're growing you're able to help other people two how are you helping others grow spiritually like is there anyone you're encouraging in their faith is there anyone you're helping you know pray through their marriage pray through their parenting pray through their finances pray through their addiction you're you're like Paul you're just trying to help them grow in Christ. You're actively pointing them to Jesus. If you're not, start thinking through, my God, who who could I encourage? Who could I share my story with where where you've been faithful to me, that I might encourage them, that you'll be faithful to them as well? Uh, Three, how are you reaching people that don't know Jesus? My, My quick first response will always be, hopefully you're praying for them. If you're like me, I'm more on the awkward, weird side, so I don't just walk up to people and go, hey, if you were to die today, would you, would you go to heaven? Some of you guys are really good at that. I am not, right? It takes me like 30 conversations to kind of like get to know you, talk to you. You realize I'm not crazy, right? And then kind of get some type of, oh, this is what's going on in my life. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you need Jesus. It's kind of a, a process. So starting with prayer. And God will, you'll be amazed when you pray for people who don't know Jesus, how your heart just starts to want to pray for them more and care about them more. And then God opens doors for you to share. And it becomes very, uh, when we put like knit together, you see God bringing it together. And that's the beauty of what Paul's saying. is like, it's not our job to win people. It's our job to share, to strive, to have ambition, to grow, to teach these people, to give them the hope of Jesus, right? Four. How are you reaching the unreached? So part of that's through giving. You know, we give to missionaries and we give to organizations that do that. Part of that's praying. Praying for the people who don't know Christ. Praying for the the laborers, you know, learning the language and getting ready to plant a church and write a Bible. So either, you know, generosity or prayer. Or teaching younger people the vision of going out. Are you participating in the goal of unreached people? And then five, how are you helping Christians in need? This is just one of the biggest ways we can show tangibly that God loves them, right? That that Christ, uh, He not only paid for their sins and loves them, but He cares about their well-being as well. And one of the throughout Scripture, Christians really do take care of Christians, and we have a fantastic opportunity in this climate in this day and age, that there are a growing amount of physical needs. Is that true? You guys see that? People losing jobs. People sick. People, you know, their house is breaking. They can't fix it. So many things going on. It's an opportunity for us to say, hey, God loves you. God loves you so much. I'm going to help you. That's a reminder of God's goodness and faithfulness to them. And so we want to help our brothers and sisters grow in their faith but we also want people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you uh, that you keep us on mission, that you keep us focused, that we would share uh, just what you've done in our life, uh, what you've done in in the lives around us, what you've done historically in the Bible so that people would see your goodness and your greatness, and they'd want to know you and love you and ask for their sins to be forgiven because of Jesus. So it's our prayer that we would have great ambition to preach the gospel where it's not, and to encourage those who know the gospel more, to love you more. So please be with us in that mission, to love you and to share you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so one of the things we're doing uh, this year is we're gonna shift from doing communion once a month to twice a month, so on the first and third Sunday, and and one of the reasons is, you know, we want to give more time in communion and more time to focus on remembering what Christ did, uh, remembering the importance uh, of repenting of our sin, but also, you know, one of the things we noticed is you usually live in Bakersfield, so you can leave Bakersfield often, right? So there's this idea that maybe you miss a Sunday, and then all of a sudden it's three months before communion, And we just don't want that to happen. We want to give multiple opportunities for you to reflect on the cross, reflect on what Christ has done so that you can draw close and, you know, not allow that sin to settle into cement. And so in communion, you know, ideally there's going to be this beautiful progression. It's going to start very gut-wrenching and heartbreaking as you kind of mourn the sin that is in your life. And this is what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. So you're mourning your sin. This is how I sinned against you. This is how I've fallen short. Here's how I've been selfish. Here's where I've, you know, love had idolatry in my life, had anger, whatever it is, you're walking through that and you're mourning that sin. And then you're moving to, you know, Christ paid for that sin, his blood shed. He suffered the wrath of God on my behalf because of these sins. All right? And then as you move from that mourning and you're, you're moving to grieving, then you realize that Christ raised from the dead; he rose from the dead. And He has victory over sin and victory over death and your sins are forgiven. So then it moves to excitement and joy and just the everlasting peace that you now have with God. And so that arc is very important in communion that we mourn our sin and we celebrate our forgiveness and we celebrate Jesus. And so that's just what we would ask you to do during this time. Uh, when I get done praying, John's just gonna lead us in worship and you can do it you know, in your own leisure, in your own, in your own time. And just remember you know, 1 Corinthians 11, 25-28, it instructs us in communion in this way. It says, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the Bible tells us when we gather to remember him, but to examine ourselves and to do it in a worthy manner. So we don't want communion to be uh, just something that's mechanical, go through the motions, that we actually focus on our sin, we mourn our sin, and then we celebrate Christ and the work that he did, and that we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're adopted, we're loved. And move through that progression and truly examine it. If you're not a Christian, uh, we'd ask that you not partake in communion, but rather just reflect on, man, what does it mean to be a sinner? Where would I go when I die? Why are there so many people here that love Christ, that have their lives committed to Him? If you have your kids with you, you know, a great thing to model is, you know, the confession of sin. here's sin in, in our life, and we confess that, and we ask for forgiveness. And then we thank and we celebrate Jesus for forgiving and paying for our sin. Um, The last thing is just remember as you take communion, there's two tabs. If you take the big tab and rip it off, juice will go flying and you won't be happy. So you want to get the clear one above it and then the wafers right there and then take the big one and just take it in your own time. You know, move from that progression of sin to the cross, to the paying of sin, the forgiveness of sins. And the glory of Jesus and the future hope of heaven. So I'm going to pray, and then John will lead us through some worship and uh, just take your time to meditate on what Christ has done. Let's pray. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Uh, and it's our prayer that we would just reflect on the cross the shedding of Christ's blood, that our sin, while painful, is paid for, and we are to celebrate that. So we pray that we would celebrate the work of Christ. It may comfort us and give us great joy and much hope. We thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.